Welcome to the Switching Gear podcast that tells the story of four apparel brands on their journey to launch rental and resale business models. Up to 80% of new consumer product launches fail. While many failures provide excellent learning moments, we would prefer to avoid it whenever we can. But how? Having a good understanding of your target customer's pains and gains is a good place to start. Many apparel brands have an idea of who their customer is, but do they really know what drives them and what puts them off? Furthermore, do brands understand customer motivations beyond their existing customer journeys that focus on traditional sales? Probably not, or not yet at least. In this second episode of the Switching Gear podcast, we will dive deeper into the process of discovery and ideation. We will hear from our four brands as they reflect on what it was like to put themselves in their customers' shoes in order to generate fresh insights on their pains and their gains. We will also hear how they turn these insights into an initial circular business model concept by going through an intense design sprint. One of the things that we've learned from guiding the four brands through this initial research phase is that it's harder than you think to generate high-quality insights. It was a challenge for the brands to really understand what makes a good insight. A good insight is specific, based on observations or data that are relevant to your situation, and they are a summary of several main findings. In our specific case, or in this project, key insights are used to describe the problem space and provide hooks or angles for an ideation session. So while facts and findings are useful, they cannot really feed the creative process with an original hook or angle in the same way that a juicy insight can. So just to give an example, a finding or a fact could be younger generations increasingly take sustainability into account when making purchasing decisions and are adopting secondhand fashion faster than any other age group. That's a fact. But an insight, on the other hand, would be something like this. Gen Z shoppers buy secondhand because it shows their sustainability values, which provide enhanced status towards their peers. In essence, insights dive deeper into the pains and gains of your customer to uncover their attitude and their underlying why. Another common mistake is to base insights on assumptions instead of actual data. You might think you know your customer, but do you really? And in the fashion industry, it's common that sales figures are the most important form of customer feedback. And as long as sales are good, nobody asks any questions. Actual data about whether customers are actually happy with the product, if it's used as intended, what they like or dislike about it, in the context of their needs and aspirations as individuals, is often undiscovered and therefore untapped. For Koichi, this was a real eye-opener. And it was really a new thing for them to reach out to their customer base and ask them questions about how they interact with Kyuchi products after sale. Normally, you don't think about what customers do after they buy your product because they already bought it. And the only time you get any feedback from them is when something is going wrong. So normally, yeah, of course, sometimes you have that like a perfect customer that sends you Five years later, like, yeah, I totally, I repaired it all over and I just want this one again. Do you have it somewhere laying around? But uh, that is really a customer that is really rare. Um, so, yeah, you normally don't, don't think about what people do with your products after they bought it. So you want to get insights into what is happening after that whole phase that, that we are part of. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, I think, the, the major question that we 
start off with. So really questioning, okay, how do people treat their clothing? What, how do, do they dispose it? How do they uh, buy it? Do they buy secondhand or not? Do they, what, why don't they buy secondhand or why do they buy secondhand? These kind of questions uh, are really important if you want to understand if resale is for your brand. Some brands like Asket have built their brand on product longevity. And because of this, they already have a better understanding of the use phase of their products. However, for them, exploring how customers deal with the process of eventual end of use and their attitudes towards resale and secondhand clothing was entirely new. We had a fair understanding of how our customers wear, use, wash and care for their garments based on previous research. Um, so we knew quite a bit about garment longevity and that we would have the potential to um, take back garments that are actually in a decent condition. But we knew very little about our customers' attitudes towards the end-of-life scenario of clothing. So I guess our, our, the biggest question marks were regarding um, our customers' attitudes towards sending back clothing. Uh, what do they do with clothing that they no longer use today? Do they give it to charity? Do they find recycling stations? Do they mend it? Do they sell it? If they sell it, do they sell it themselves on eBay or you know, uh, Craigslist? Or uh, do they hand it into um, secondhand platforms? And then further, we wanted to understand the reasons for uh, sending back clothing in the first place or, or the reasons for no longer using clothing. Is it because it's worn and torn? Is it because uh, you've grown out of your size because you're tired of the style? And these questions are, of course, the answer is very specific to ask it also because we have a certain set of garments. Um, so trying to gauge the reason for no longer using a garment, um, what customers would do with garments when they no longer use them, and then um, trying to assess the barriers or the key drivers and motivators to uh, dispose of clothing in a different way than just throwing it in the trash bin. Uh, so, you know, how convenient would a take back service need to be? Um, how rewarding would it need to be? Would the reward need to be monetary or uh, could it be more value based uh, knowing, you know, uh, that we would do something good with it? Um, so really gauging the, the supply side of a, a resale platform, basically. Similarly, Lindex wanted to understand their customers' attitudes towards secondhand. But in their case, they also wanted to have a more nuanced insight into a specific target group, parents. And this was because they had selected a specific product group, kids' outerwear, as an area to pilot their resale. They actually found out a very surprising and useful insight. What we found out was that there seemed to be quite a large problem with actually storing uh, kids' outerwear. I mean, during the season where you don't wear the winter jacket or whatever, you don't. You have to put them somewhere. And that part, I mean, that uh, wardrobe issue was uh, something a bit new to us. And as a parent, of course, you can relate to that yourself, but it was interesting to find that specific part to be such a big issue for many people and you move around the kids out to wear it in between different wardrobes and maybe you store them in a different place and then it's spring you have to put them back in the wardrobe and when you bring them out again in the autumn they are outgrown and you have to buy new uh, so 
so that was an interesting part where we started to work and think about how can we help? I mean, that's a specific need. And many, many times the, the customers actually have their own solutions. Of course, there are a lot of ways to, to I mean, sell, sell or give away uh, used kids' outerwear. But uh, how can Lindex take a part in that and help our customers in, in that specific part of the customer journey? Launching a rental or resale model will likely attract other target groups aside from your existing customer base. For most brands, this is also the reason that they enter into the space. In the case of resale, your existing customers will be your resellers. However, for several of our brands, it became clear that the reseller is not necessarily the buyer of the secondhand product. At the same time, we wanted to gauge, you know, what's the interest in also buying uh, so it's it was understanding both the seller and the buyer uh, and seeing at first, at least within our customer base, do we have a customer here already uh, that is interested in this uh, or is it something we would have to go and find elsewhere? Uh, and that was also a big, big part of figuring out in the beginning. For Kuichi, it became clear that for them, the buyer is not the seller and not even close. While their new denim products are essentials and basics that never go out of stock, their resale items will mostly be upcycled, unique pieces with a story. And with these products, these secondhand products, they aim to attract a younger crowd to the brand. That's still fluctuating, I must say, uh, <laughs> what kind of customer we're tar targeting there. Um, but our um, main focus is really to get the new generation on board as well. Um, so... Um, our denim right now is overall pretty basic, like like the, it's not really standing out pieces uh, a lot there. So it's really more we are the guardrope essentials. But um, on top of that, there are a lot of young people, for instance, that are more focused on really that standalone kind of vibe that you have also with vintage pieces that are unique and um, that that's it's really a collector's item almost. So in that way, um, that's, that's also a little bit the, the customer that we're focusing on that really want to, that one-of-a-kind piece because it has a story to tell. Yeah, I think that is a little bit the customer that we're targeting. And we think that's more a little bit younger group uh, that's more trend-influenced and uh, in that way. Uh, that we're now not really targeting because we're now doing never out of stock kind of styles that go over the seasons. Asket also saw it as a reason to explore outside of their existing customer base. Looking at people that follow or are engaged with their brand through social media, for example, but have never actually bought an item. It's still very possible that it's a customer that we have um, as a follower as someone who, who might like what we do, but you know either they uh, feel that we're out of their price range or maybe it's someone who prefers um, to, to buy secondhand for sustainability reasons. Um, so someone who, who we haven't converted, which means they were not in the sample that we asked questions to. Um, and, and I think that's where we're, we're looking now more, um, hoping that uh, we, we won't have to go out and and create uh, or acquire entirely new audience, but just this is a complementary offering. Lindex, on the other hand, feels that even though they aim to attract new customers with their resale model, they believe that this customer persona 
is already represented in their existing customer base. And so a dialogue with their existing customers would give them all the insights that they needed. It might be that uh, this type of concept could attract uh, more uh, new targets. Um, but uh, I think since we are such a big, uh, we have not seen that effect yet. And uh, now we have been targeting, I mean, we have been communicating in our own channels and we have been having this dialogue in our own stores and so forth. So I think right now what we can see, this is a, a, a potential in our current customer's behavior. This is something we can help our current customers with. So did the brands have any other relevant insights? Uh, yes, for sure. Um, they all got a lot of other relevant inputs that helped guide the ideation of the initial concept. Uh, for example, Lindex, they found that since their focus is on kids' outerwear, timing for them is very important uh, with regards to having a well-timed communication and planning the take-back moment uh, and also planning the actual resale itself. Of course, autumn is one, one, one um, very important part of the year for, for to making this work, to be there and to, to uh, help the customers in those critical weeks of the year when you have to bring out those outerwear and you ha maybe have to invest in new ones and you want to avoid the, 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 the thing that the customers has to store the outgrown outerwear. They should just bring them to the store and buy new ones or potentially secondhand clothes. And so they don't have that, you take away that uh, painful moment in the customer journey. What we saw with ETP who create workwear and they're of course work mainly B2B, a big insight was that actually the end user's experience and behavior, which of course in this instance is the actual employee, is key to the success of the new business model. So this insight was important input for the design sprint as they needed to actually explicitly think about the pains and gains of the people that are actually wearing and interacting with the uniform and the workwear. Something that did come out of the, the first uh, research that we did was that it is very important within the whole journey that we have, we have the main customer, but of course it's all about the wearers. So the, the employees of our customer that are wearing our garments and those people are actually the most important people to convince uh, and they have to take part in the whole new business model, of course. And, Somehow they don't have a choice because if the customer says we're going to do it like this, then the wearers just have to do it. But it's very important to give them the positive feeling. Um, and that's something we are still thinking about at this point to see how can you reward, reward um, the employees. So we are still figuring out a very good rewarding system uh, to actually to make sure that the whole durability part of the project is also fun for them. And for Asket, um, it was that they were confronted with the reality that their customers might not be as interested as they had hoped or expected, um, mainly because their customer was already using their product super consciously. I think, I mean, one main main insight that was also a bit surprising to us was the, the generally low interest uh, from the customer. So I think when we started this, we were super excited about it and we really see why this is good. And I think we naively thought that our customers would be as excited. Um, but already here, we could see that, you know, there was some questions around 
why is this better than what I already do if I'm giving it, donating it, or or selling it uh, through uh, you know some third party site or or whatnot? Uh, why should I take the extra effort of of sending it back to you? Uh, and also a very normal response we got was, you know, well, I buy a skate clothing uh, new and I use it until there's nothing left of it. And that's, I mean, that's what we intend. Uh, but it's also worth keeping in mind then that for most of the people, like commercial resale or selling them before they would otherwise dispose of them is not very interesting at all. Um, but we also, it's more for catching the few circumstances where maybe for some reason the garment has ended up in the back of your closet uh, where we saw reasons like you know you grow uh, out of a garment or the garment grows out of you I, I don't know maybe the product after a while wasn't uh, what they wanted anymore but it's very rare so I think that was an insight in itself that you know uh, that also took us to uh, switch more towards a trade-in or trade-back program than a pure resale for for monetary purposes sort of uh, concepts. And meanwhile, the Kuyuchi team, uh, they learned that the process of giving back clothing also has a very important emotional aspect to it, and that this is really important to consider when designing the incentive system and all of their messaging around the model. One of the insights that we had was really that it was like um, secondhand clothing and uh, passing forward clothing to other people is really something that is more uh, uh, emotional uh, way of working with clothing. So um, you give it away to somebody else because you know it will give them joy, for instance. Or uh, you buy something because you know that uh, you can give them a new life. So there's really an emotional uh, connection with the clothing there already because uh, you, yeah, you. Um, make an active choice to do it in that way and not do the conventional way of just buying new. So uh, I think that was a really nice insight that you also have to tap into that emotional side of people uh, to get them on board. Yeah, I think that was one of the, our biggest insights. Yeah. What we can conclude from all of this is that generating good insights is actually quite an art form. And it's worthwhile for your team to build your skills in this area. Verify your assumptions and dig deep enough to find out the why beneath the why. Then amongst all the findings and interesting data, you might be able to formulate that one key insight, that gem, that will form the basis for a unique concept and campaign that really speaks to what your target group really wants and needs, not what you think they want and need. Going from data or findings to insights is one thing, and can be quite challenging as we've learned through this process. But how do you get the data in the first place? Desk research is a great way to find out about market conditions, to check out best practice, or maybe learn about customer attitudes overall. But how do you get good data about your customers or new target groups on this very specific topic? How did our brands tackle that? Well, all our brands tackled this step by doing some form of survey in combination with some in-depth interviews. For some, the sample size was quite modest, uh, as was the case for Kuichi, who from their reports understood that their customer base is actually very diverse. I personally did some reading into your amazing folder of information. 
Um, and besides that, we uh, started a, a, a yeah, little customer um, questionnaire. Uh, so we uh, had some talks with uh, some Gucci uh, consumers and um, to see what kind of behavior they have around clothing. Um, not only Gucci clothing, but clothing in general. So, um, yeah, we started to ask them these questions that we had. Uh, and from that, you get yeah, a super diverse kind of answer. Like one is really like a denim hat that just collects clothing, uh, like really nice denim. So he had like an old Koichi that was unworn and uh, an unworn Koichi. And then he had one that he had worn so he could see the difference, for instance. So, he, yeah, he really, uh, yeah, he really had his own denim archive, which I think is amazing that uh, you have this value for your clothing. So yeah, it was uh, it was really good to see different kinds of customers and what their uh, behavior is around clothing. Asket also did a survey uh, followed by interviews, but with a slightly bigger sample. So as uh, f- former marketing students <laughs> and marketing research students, we developed a huge battery of questions. <laughs> and uh, designed a big survey Um, and fortunately we have super engaged customers um, which we uh, time on time can rely on for feedback and insights um, both in terms of clothing uh, you know products and service levels etc but also to develop new concepts so i think we surveyed uh, 2000 customers that had clothing for at least two years um, minimum uh, and asked them to to, to answer an online survey for us. Um, and we're able to, to gather quite a bit of data on that. Lindex also took this approach of doing a survey and interviews, and they even iterated on it, which is really ideal. For Lindex, getting the data was not a hard thing to do, as they do this more often, and they even have a dedicated customer panel of about a thousand customers in place that they could easily tap into, which is great. Where we have about a thousand customers, engage in, in a dialogue with us where we actually present different types of top, topics and uh, aspects and we present them ideas and we get the a first type of feedback. So that was where we started. And then we also added uh, in-depth interviews. So our uh, customer researcher uh, and service designer uh, performed those interviews and uh, to get a deeper understanding because you can't get that in, in a, I mean, just by a questionnaire. So you have to talk to people to understand why they think, why they act in a certain way. And then we also added a quantitative questionnaire through our customer panel and reached out to more uh, parents to, to get the understanding of their behavior and verify a couple of those hypotheses that we have found in the first qualitative phase. So that's the way we approached it. So actually, the brands were quite aligned in their approach. And for any brand that is going to do this research, we actually also advise to follow their lead and do a survey as well as in-depth interviews. Yeah, ideally you want to have both. You want to have the opportunity to ask your customers about you know, the why behind the why, but you also want to make sure that you're not basing all of your insights on only a few individual claims. So doing a larger survey is recommended for that. And of course, your data will only be as good as the survey itself and the interview questions in it. So you can find some more guidance on this in our online circular toolbox. 
The next step was to take the insights into the first stages of a design sprint to come up with an initial concept. A design sprint is a process that uses design thinking for validating ideas and solving big challenges through prototyping and testing ideas with customers. The full process involves the steps of mapping, sketching, deciding, prototyping and testing, and aims to reduce the risk when bringing a new product, service or a feature to the market. For all of the brands, concept development was not new, but this method or format was. For Lindex doing this work in this setting, a virtual one, and with external participants from the Switching Gear team, brought a whole new dimension to their concept development process, and it really added something to their existing company approach. I found uh, the concept in part fantastic. I've worked with concept developments, but never used these kind of methods in that, this way. Uh, and I thought that was just uh, a super boost, just creatively and just sharing ideas in this way, and actually how far you can get on a really, really short time. I found that was like super positive. So I was like, wow, you really need to do this on other type of projects and other parts of workshops. So for me, I, I think it was an eye opener and something that we can really ben benefit from in different areas of our company. So just really want to spread, spread that toolbox to more areas. The great thing was that all the brands also really enjoyed it. Ideation and working creatively is often a high energy process and a step where a lot of the work that's been done up until that moment comes to fruition in the form of a range of ideas and, of course, finally, a concrete concept. Even in the face of corona and having to switch everything online, we made it work and we made it fun. And also, you know, thank God for Miro, which was a virtual tool that we were using, because the additional added benefit of using tools like that is that all the results are automatically and easily digitally captured. Due to uh, Corona, we couldn't meet physical, but still really the energy was really upbeat in these sessions. So you could really feel uh, that we were making something, making a baby almost. <laughs> like really, yeah, there was a lot of energy there. So that's what I really, really liked about the design sprint. And also um, there was this part where, the, where we did like these crazy eight, uh, where you just had to came up with anything that came to mind. And I think it's, really amazing way to really think out of the box because yeah things pop up that, that you haven't thought about earlier uh or yeah it's it's really um a way to let go of all these things that you already knew <laughs> and really focus on okay but but what uh what kind of new ways of thinking uh, of, of looking at this i can formulate on, on this paper so yeah so there was really a really diverse kind of way of thinking about uh this business model uh that shows really the possibilities that you have and uh from that you can start formalizing it into uh maybe more realistic ideas but really still with the juice of these uh interesting uh yeah ways of thinking about the subject yeah so yeah i really liked it <laughs> i think maybe it was my favorite part this far asket was skeptical about the exercises at first um, both founders have completed an mba and while they understand very well how innovation processes work the format of working on creative concept development was not something they've done before in this way and it was a very pleasant surprise for them they have even applied this format in their other work since then, so that's probably the best compliment. I think, you know, when we started out, 
early on. Um, I was quite honest and frank about the fact that, you know, uh, I think both Jacob and I are skeptics to some extent, extent when it comes to, you know, after five years of business school, to academia, to, you know, theoretical frameworks, to uh, even to workshops potentially, because, you know, we just like to roll up our sleeves and get stuff done. Um, and I think that just the fact that we actually reuse some of the workshop formats uh, in our own day-to-day business um, kind of shows that, or, or for me at least, I think I've gained a totally different respect for um, the type of format that you guys have provided uh, in terms of uh, a mix of academic and sort of theoretical and practical what we observe from going through this concept development process with the brands is that they were really tempted and inclined to converge their thinking at an early stage to a single idea, often based on you know existing best practice examples that they know from the market or what they think is perhaps feasible. And you might think that that is effective, but it doesn't actually allow for anything new or original to emerge. And for that to happen, it might sound a little bit cliche but you need to step outside the box and you need to trust the process so go along with the exercises don't let yourself be constricted by what you think is or isn't possible and that process of you know assessing ideas based on feasibility etc all of that will come later a great way to support this is to invite external people to join you in these exercises people from outside your organization that have some idea about the topic, uh, but that don't know your brand or the market well enough to let it constrain them. They automatically think outside the box and it's really a good addition to the process. Also, uh, this concept development process can be uncomfortable. We are not all used to drawing and imagining so much anymore. It might take some time to get into it and give the team that time. Make sure to throw in some icebreakers at the beginning, for example, and cultivate an open mindset of curiosity and willingness to lean into this discomfort. And remember, in this setting, there is no such thing as a bad idea. As an outcome of the concept development or design sprint, all brands landed on an outline for their new business model concept. All of them still needed work and tweaking and testing, But the core structure was there. Most didn't land on what they had originally thought, which was mainly due to the insight they had gathered in the customer research, but also the expert interviews that they did in the session. For Kuyuchi, the core insight they built their concept on was around the altruism or emotional aspect of passing on clothing. It helped shape the concept and customer journey, but of course also the positioning of their model. Also, I think I'm really proud that, that we really uh, could tap in into the customer and find that, that aha moment that people uh, want to feel this emotional connection to a resale model. So that, that's, uh, yeah, that, that little hook that we found there, I think that is really something that uh, shifted this whole project in the way that we think about resale and the way we think about how we need to construct this business model. For us, it was really important that uh, that, that altruistic side uh, was involved. So uh, there also has to be a connection between the one that is giving back the genes and the one that is buying the genes. So uh, the character was really involved in connecting those two 
persons by um it, yeah we we call it the actually you came up, came up with it's uh Gwen, the the next generation genes so um that's you are aware that when you buy genes that you actually know that this genes will get a second life after me uh so in that way uh already um bring the consciousness to the to these people that uh that are buying the genes that they know that there's a second life for these genes after they have worn it. Asket learned that a commercial resale platform is probably not the best fit for their brand and their customer base. And so instead they landed on a concept with a stronger focus on give back. The customer um, feels you know skeptical towards a trade-in program because he or she um, buys clothing with the ambition to wear it until it's hanging by the threads then um, you know that's great and then we're already kind of doing our job there uh, in in the initial uh, you know purchasing communication phase with our customers um, but then you kind of also need to pivot and see okay what are the other goals that we had um, it's also about reconnecting with our customers at the end of the journey of a garment and it's about maximizing not just the usage of clothing but also the resources that went into creating them and I guess that's when we felt that a uh, a take back or trade in program rather than a e-commerce platform still made sense that we feel like given the current infrastructure um, in terms of recycling stations or sort of hand in stations for worn and torn clothing it's pretty hard to dispose of clothing even if you've used it you know uh, as much as you possibly can in a good way um, and that we could actually do it better that we with our supply chain with our uh, knowledge of our fibers of our clothing can actually collect sort uh, and um, maximize the value of those sort of bare threads uh, better than than any um, third-party solution out there for lindex lots of good ideas were generated but due to the circumstances of covid they couldn't be as ambitious as they might have wanted for the pilot so they had to simplify However, all the ideas are still captured and they're waiting there for their moment to shine. I think the idea that we ended up with in, in this um, workshop was a bit more elaborated what we actually had the possibility to do in the end. So there were very good elements of that idea that is still interesting, but we had to narrow it down and limit ourselves due to time and resources and possibilities. Uh, for instance, there was a part with the third party involvement that we have not proceeded with because it was not possible given given I mean the circumstances but of course that type of um, work is still I mean that type of cooperation is still interesting to review and reflect upon and see what we can do and we have been continued that discussion but we couldn't include it in the in the pilot but also I have to stress that even though we had one concept that won in the 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 um, during the workshop, we still have a lot of good ideas in the other ideas that was uh, sketched. So we really want to take, I mean, put them in the backlog if you want. So, so we create a backlog with good ideas that we could actually see when and how we can introduce them and, and, and in what phase uh, going forward. I think what was striking to see was that the brands also stayed very true to their brand identity. It's not surprising, of course, but it really shows that there is really 
no one-size-fits-all for any of these models. Everyone will have their own unique recipe and you need to do the work to create it. Our key takeaways in observing the brands, but also in participating in this design sprint to come up with an initial concept, is that your insights are your gold. The quality of your insights need to be good for original concepts to emerge. Then, in the ideation phase, it's really important to let go. Think creatively and colour outside the lines. Then when choosing a concept that you want to prototype, it's important to take into account at that stage your brand DNA and what fits the values of your company. All of this takes work, but it is well worth the effort. And also, and not to be underestimated, it is a lot of fun. This concludes episode two of the Switching Gear podcast. We hope you are able to take away some insights that can help you to get started on your own journey towards the design and launch of a new resale or rental model. In episode three, we will be reflecting on an exciting step in the process, prototyping your concept. As a wise man once said, it's much easier to get people to open their mouths than to open their wallet. Developing and running prototypes is essential to quickly and cheaply gather data and insights and reveal any problems with your current concept design. But there is a fine art to good prototype design, as we will explain in the next episode. So join us next time, where we'll hear from our brands as they bravely put their ideas to the test. The Switching Gear podcast was made possible thanks to the generous support of the Loudest Foundation. The podcast is part of the Circular Toolbox for Apparel Brands. If you are interested in developing and launching a resale or rental model of your own, the toolbox will guide you step-by-step through the same innovation process the brands in this podcast have gone through, including all the workshop materials you'll need and a wealth of tips and tricks to support you on your journey. Go to thecirculartoolbox.com to learn more.